Hi, this is Usagi Biker from Sunnydale Adjacent, aka the City of Angels, aka Los Angeles. Dusted is a story won't podcast. To show your support and for exclusive content, visit patreon.com slash storywonk. Thanks. everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Alistair Stevens, and this is Dusted, your we know at least as much about telekinesis as Wesley, Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> podcast. Well, this week we are watching episode four of season two of Angel Untouched. A provocative episode, an episode with some very difficult subject matter, an episode that is going to be, I think, tricky to discuss. Yeah. This episode aired on October 17th in the year 2000 and is the first script from Mare Smith, although she is an executive story editor for pretty much the entire run of Angel and will be credited on 18 more scripts. So this is the first of 19 for Mayor Smith. Yeah, it's going to be fun. She's I'm kind of new to an awareness of her and her writing. There are some writers between Buffy and Angel that I just know. Tim Minear shows up and I'm like, I know mm-hmm. this guy. Um, I'm really looking forward to see what she does because I think that while this is a weird episode of Angel, it's not poorly written. So it's I'm, not. No. I'm interested. It's going to be a really good discussion. <laughs> but also what fascinates me, though, is that there are six episodes in the entire run of Angel that are directed by who? Joss Whedon. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them. And this is the only one that he didn't write. Not this is a premiere, not a finale. This is the Angel that we see him directing the work of another writer. Did somebody call in sick? What happened? It's interesting. I would love to know the story. As ever, finding stories about the production process behind Buffy and Angel is sure. not as easy as you might imagine. I think TV production wasn't as well documented uh, back yeah, in sure. the late 90s, <laughs> early 2000s as it is today. Mm-hmm. It is really interesting to see some of that Weedonian visual flourish mm-hmm. applied to a script that doesn't have the same rhythms, yeah. that doesn't have the same internal structure. This script is not written to be as swift and as as choppy mm-hmm. as some of Whedon's work is. And as visually expressive. When he right. writes a script, he writes it for his particular style of direction. And when you're directing something that's written by somebody else, sometimes you don't get that same kind of harmony between the I two sides of true. the story. So it's going to be interesting. It's interesting seeing that tension. I'm not sure it's entirely successful. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that this this synthesis, the symbiosis between writer and director really serves the story. Mm-hmm. I think it does in parts. I think there are some very effective sequences. There mm-hmm. are some very effective single shots and extended sequences. But there's also a weird tension. And I don't think that Whedon would have written as many completely static two characters talking to each other sequences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As Mare has written here. Yeah. Well, I think that when you are also a director, when you're a writer, sometimes you don't think in terms of visuals. I know this is something that I struggle with a lot. And if I was writing for a visual medium like television, it's something you really have to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. And if you're not a director and you don't already kind of have that way of looking at story, sometimes you don't create as many opportunities for for real visual interest as you might otherwise. I'm thinking in particular of the scene between Bethany and Angel when he is in bed Mm -hmm. that extended sequence it's a very powerful metaphor it's a very powerful scene Mm -hmm. it's not as visually compelling just as visually complex 
uh, as yeah. I might expect it to be had it been both written and directed by Whedon. I feel that there would have been more more life to mm-hmm. it, perhaps. So it's weird to see. And that's not to say that either aspect is bad, just that they it's an uncomfortable marriage between the two, I think. It is. It's a little weird. And I think of a lot of them. I think of uh, Lila and Holland Manners. I think of Lila and Bethany doing laundry, which is not Lila, the most visually interesting thing that you can do. Lila in general, I think, yeah, suffers not well served in, in, this, this episode. in this episode. I will go right out on a limb right up front and say this episode could be radically improved by the simple excision of Lila and introduction of Lindsay. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Why Christian Kane isn't in this episode, I can only assume that they couldn't get him for it. He must not have been available. Lila as a primary antagonist just can't cut it. Yeah. As a secondary antagonist, I think Mm -hmm. she is a very interesting presence. But at least within this script, she doesn't bring enough to the screen. And I think that having a character like Lindsay, hell, go back to the first season and resurrect Lee Mercer. Oh, sure. Bring him in. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Having a male character serve as a counterpart to Bethany would have opened up all of this interesting textual space. Yeah. Would have mm-hmm. opened up all of this this thematic resonance within the episode that we don't get because Lila is, on the one hand, a woman, and on the other, barely present. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and start with our summary so that we can, uh, we can have this full discussion. All right. So we open on Lila sneaking into Lindsay's darkened office at Wolfram and Hart and snooping until Darla comes out of a shadowy corner. <laughs> Right. Where she's just been hanging out in her party dress because right. that's what I do. I put on a party dress and I stand in the corner and wait for somebody to walk in and break into somebody's office. Uh, you need to be careful because listeners don't know you and they can't see you. So they might think you're being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's yes. such a weird sequence. Why does Lila not know that Darla is in Lindsay's office? Why is Darla hanging out in Lindsay's office? Is she the attack dog in Why case somebody breaks Lindsay in? Why does Lindsay have more security around his office and yeah. his personal files? The whole thing. I feel that one of the problems with this episode right up front is that we have declawed Wolfram and Hart. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't feel like they are as powerful or as capable as they should be. Or as dangerous. Yeah. Which unfortunately makes Holland Manners look look toothless Mm -hmm. in his scenes which is so weird because he did such a great job at the end of the first season of delivering absolute authority and absolute menace that stuff doesn't work and it's started right here the idea in the first season that lila could have casually walked into Lindsay's office and gone through his files darla or no darla would have been unthinkable Mm -hmm. this just doesn't feel quite right and that's a phrase that i feel like i'm going to repeat a lot through this episode it doesn't feel quite right it doesn't feel quite like our established continuity Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel quite like our established tone for angel these don't feel quite like our characters with a couple of exceptions yes Mm -hmm. there's a lot of this that i think falls prey to to debut syndrome you know i think this is the first script from a new writer for angel and mayor smith hasn't quite found her tone yet well writing for television especially when you've got a big writing staff like this and an established series it's like hopping into a a game of double dutch already in progress (laughs) and i think that that can be really difficult when you first jump in it can be kind of hard to get the rhythms right but overall like i think that the writing itself is good it just doesn't feel like writing for angel i think that's absolutely fair Mm -hmm. and that's a point that we really should stress the incidental dialogue is really pretty good throughout and in some scenes very very good Mm -hmm. the scene later between cordelia and bethany is is fantastic. just a great scene yeah. and a really sophisticated scene too mm-hmm. so yeah this is not to critique Mayor Smith's writing per se as much as it is to observe that this episode doesn't fit quite neatly into our understanding of Angel as an ongoing series 
which is exacerbated by virtue of the fact that we're now dealing with some serialized plots. Uh, yeah, no, we're getting a lot of things going on. So Lila defends her life choices, but Darla doesn't really care. <laughs> they talk about Angel's dark internal life, and Darla plays with the magical powder she uses to keep him sleeping and under her control. Which is a weird way of introducing this subplot. Yeah. We had the introduction of Darla last week with the bombshell reveal at the end. That it was that really Darla, real. that he wasn't just dreaming of her, yes. Mm -hmm. But we don't really do anything in this episode to advance that, despite spending what feels like a lot of time on it. No, Darla is essentially treading water through this episode so that we can get to, you know, to further movement later on. But yeah, nothing really advances with Darla in this episode. And the introduction of the Calinthia powder, which feels like it should be important it feels like it should yeah it's, it's kind of thrown out here in the cold open yeah mm -hmm. the entire structuring of the darla thing is just strange mm -hmm. for reasons which i guess we'll get to next week i guess so all right so at the hyperion angel wakes up only to come upon wesley and cordy with a bicker already in progress yes mm -hmm, which is just terrible dad oh i mean angel comes in to mediate <laughs> between the two of them send and them we to their rooms this horrible you know what did you major in advanced bosoms you know right what is going on with wesley's like random casual sexism with cordy they're trying to create this like bickering brother and sister thing between wesley and cordy which is not worthy of either of them but especially not wesley wesley is not this guy although well, if they keep writing him as this guy eventually that's gonna be who he is or we're just not going to care when he stops being this exactly. guy again you are right this episode is i think wesley's darkest hour to date mm -hmm. he's pretty much irredeemably awful yeah throughout the entire episode yeah i don't think he has a line that i completely appreciate in an uncomplicated fashion i don't He's think there's anything he says terrible yeah and this particular exchange you're right it gives us this idea of a a mean-spirited wesley yeah. which doesn't quite seem to match our understanding of his character a sexist misogynistic wesley not to mention the fact that i feel as though <laughs> Perhaps this is more a season one Cordelia thing, mm -hmm. but I feel as though if he said that she had graduated, you know, a course in advanced bosoms, mm -hmm. that she'd actually be pretty flattered by that because <laughs> she's still Cordelia. She's still Cordelia, right. Or that she would come back with something, you know, smarter, something sharper, something to, you know, but there's no reason why Wesley wouldn't respect her. Look at the way that they have worked together. Look at the way that she has saved yeah, the day yeah. on more than one occasion. This entire thing this comes out of nowhere. Yes, drives Though, me crazy. that said, if you can accept that the whole thing is unmotivated and Wesley is terrible, Cordelia actually handles herself pretty well. She handles herself with a great deal of grace. Yeah, no, we have some really good Cordy in this episode, which honestly saves we a lot of this for me. We have some world-class Cordelia, some, yeah. some record-setting Cordelia in Absolutely. this episode. So they're arguing about whether or not to pay Gun. Cordy is yay. Wesley is, well, not so much nay as worried about insulting Gun, which, is that a British thing? Because I'll tell you something, <laughs> it is not an American thing. Like, if people give me money, I don't get insulted. By the way, that's <laughs> patreon.com slash storywalk. Okay, I can kind of see where Wesley's coming from. I think that Gunn is on something of a crusade. Mm -hmm. And I think that Wesley has, you know, this conception of the rogue demon hunter. And it's ironic that, that Gunn actually is living the life of a rogue demon hunter. Exactly, yeah. I think that sullying that noble cause with financial compensation mm -hmm. 
I think there is a part of Wesley that would find that to be somewhat <laughs> insulting. It does demonstrate that he, do- he doesn't know Gunn at all well. Right, but the reason why Wesley is getting paid is because Cordy insisted that Angel pay Wesley as well. This is, you know, second verse, same as the first. And as yeah. I remember, Wesley responded rather warmly to it. I do like it. I think it would have been a trivial beat to flip their positions and have Cordelia yeah. be worried once again about money, mm-hmm. to be a little bit, you know, suspicious right. of excess spending. Mm-hmm. I like very much this this new and progressive Cordelia. I like it too. There's I think that she's great. Something that we see here that we're going to see inconsistently in the future. There is a a den mother aspect mm-hmm. to Cordelia that I appreciate a great deal. It's one of my favorite characteristics that we get from her. We don't get it all the time. Mm-hmm. But when we do, I really like it. I like her as being the core of the team. And it matches the growth in her character. We've seen her oh, yeah. character arc naturally for the most part. We have a bit of wobble with both Wesley and Cordelia. It seems that from week to week, depending on what it is that that particular writer wants to get out of those particular characters, we will see them sort of wobble back and right. forth to different types of people. I'm hoping to see that settle down. Well, we've as replaced, we and I think mm-hmm. we had this inconsistently in the first season too, we've replaced the romantic tension between Doyle and Cordelia yeah. with bickering. Which is less satisfying, but at the same time, I'm kind of glad that we didn't replace it with more romantic tension. No, I'm really glad that we, you know, killed that with Cordy and Wesley since, you know, they were in season three of Buffy. Mm -hmm. Like that kiss was so (laughs) awesomely like empty of all chemistry. It was it was fantastic. So I enjoy that about their relationship. So anyway, Angel gets cranky about the whole fighting thing. He threatens to fire Cordelia, but she's vision girl. So he agrees (laughs) to just think about it. I love that. exchange. No, I like it where she's like, no, I, I have absolute job security. It's almost like tenure in a crossbow. Uh, Wesley asks about Angel's weird sleeping patterns, but just as they're getting somewhere with that, Cordy gets a vision. There's a girl, an alley, and big trouble. Angel runs off, and Wesley tends to Cordelia, who says that Angel is going to be too late. But too late. For what? For what? Nice to see us back with Cordelia's standard-issue prophetic vision. Yeah, no, that we've got her actually (laughs) using the thing that, you know, makes her part of the team. So in the alley, we have two guys attacking a girl who telekinetically smashes them with a dumpster. So that's kind of fun. the end of our cold open. Yep. A kind of classic Buffyverse inversion. Mm-hmm. Kind of takes us all the way back to the opening of the first episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Exactly, where we thought Darla was going to be the victim and she ends up being the perpetrator. We so. like playing with that kind of texture in mm-hmm. the Buffyverse. Fairly effective, I think. How does it work for you as an introduction to Bethany? Um, I don't feel like we get much of Bethany. I mean, I do like that um, that we do get a sense that she may not be entirely in control of what's happening. She does mm-hmm. try to warn these guys off to get them to to leave her alone because she knows that something's going to happen. Um, I find Bethany most interesting retrospectively at the end of the episode once I understand everything that's going on. I look back on it and I can see a little more texture. So do you feel that you get to a point at the end of the episode where you understand her? A little bit better. Yeah. It has sort of a superhero origin story feel to it so that at the end, I feel like her adventures are just beginning. That is by no means Mm -hmm. uh, a poor comparison. It absolutely feels like the opening issue of an Mm -hmm. X-Men storyline, something like that. Uh, It doesn't feel like an Angel episode, though. It doesn't feel like an Angel story. 
No, it's completely inconsistent with an angel story. But I think that we'll talk about that toward the end of the episode once we've got everything laid out, because there's some very interesting observations I want to kind of throw into that discussion. So we break for our opening credits, come back to the alley where Angel arrives after the medics have carted the smushed predators away. Uh, <laughs> Angel pretends to be a detective and gets information from a young cop who buys the ruse because, well, because he's not terribly bright. And yeah. because Angel is very good at And Angel is good. No, I love when Angel does that. I love when Angel comes in and, you know, plays up a part. Yeah. When he's when he's playing a part, he's actually a really good actor, you know, in universe. David Boreanaz is good, but Angel is also pretty good. He can pull it out when he needs to. Yeah, I really like that entire exchange, and I even like the way that we capped the scene. That felt very Wheaton. Yeah. With mm-hmm. the real homicide detective sure. walking up at, at the end, end of the exchange. <laughs> that absolutely felt like Wheaton. No, I like that a lot. And it may have been a little weird Weedonian insert, who knows? Um, so the cop tells Angel that they had to scrape the guys off the wall. The dumpster was pushed up against them. It didn't fall on them. Angel sees some blood, realizes it's not the smooshies, and asks if anyone uh, saw a girl. Perhaps it's the smoosh-ers. <gasps> Maybe. Then the cop makes a bad Mr. Bill joke, and all of us who get that reference take a moment to realize how very, very old we are. And those of us who don't, I guess, get to celebrate in the idyllic glades of youth. What yes. is Mr. Bill? You don't know Mr. I don't. Bill. Mr. Bill is like 1970s, maybe early 80s Saturday Night Live. It was oh. this little claymation thing that would always get smushed. And he, oh, no. And that was the joke, basically, is Mr. Bill just getting (laughs) destroyed in a thousand different ways. And they would have this little be like one of those little one minute, you know, like a children's show interstitial thing that they would do. Okay. so, yeah, so I'm going to have to go to YouTube and show you some Mr. Bill. I I think I'm probably good. I I feel like I get the joke. (laughs) No, I think until you see it. Uh, No, I'm pretty, pretty, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Reminded of the rule, of course, of late 70s, early 80s, Saturday Night Live, which is either do something good or do something bad 100 times. Oh, no, absolutely. Mr. Bill is the 100 times. Yes. Uh, So Angel walks into a nearby building and finds a young girl bleeding and scared. She tells him to stay away from her and tries to leave. Angel approaches her and a length of rebar flies up and impales him. She starts to run off, but then stops in surprise when Angel gets up and pulls the rebar from his chest, which in all fairness, I would guess would be surprising. We're impaling Angel a lot these days, aren't we? We are. It's kind of fun. It's a great special effect. like every week specifically the effect of him pulling the rebar out is actually very good it is really good that is very good a little bit horrifying but yeah like I mean he has had so many things just honestly he's got a whistle when he walks and I want to say at this point that we are in safe hands as far as the episode goes I felt at least very confident about this episode because this is Angel. This is mm-hmm. the archetypal angel. He was all swimmy and out of sorts last week, and even in the cold open, mm-hmm. this feels different. He's doing the thing that he is here to do, and I really appreciated that. Bethany, a little odd, a little, a little unconventional, even for our our damsel in distress of the week. Yeah, Bethany feels a little weird because she is both kind of victim and perpetrator all rolled into one. Yes. Here's the thing about Bethany. It feels to me throughout the episode as though we are anticipating a Christina Hendricks in Firefly turn. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. That we are anticipating the moment when she is going to reveal herself to be something other than she is. Mm -hmm. And we don't ever get there. Instead, we we try to synthesize both sides of her personality Mm -hmm. into one character. 
and it just, for me, doesn't work. It just doesn't hang together. I find it very difficult to get a definitive perspective on this episode because I can't get a definitive perspective on Bethany. Mm-hmm. I genuinely don't know what I am supposed to think about her or or how I am supposed to judge her even. Well, I think it's that, you know, superhero origin story thing. Like she has her own story going on right here that is kind of independent of Angel. Um, it's kind of something that she has to deal with on her own and that she has to realize on her own in order to find the answer that she needs. So she's she's set up to be, you know, victim, but she's also the danger. She's also the thing that is dangerous within one person. And it's it's kind of a weird thing. She has to save herself from this. Angel can't save her. Right, because she's not unaware of the danger. Yeah. She's actually leaning into the danger. Mm-hmm. But we also have this weird imbalance between her home life and then her her runaway escape mm-hmm. to California. Yeah. We have this weirdly inserted backstory between Lila and Bethany that I suppose we'll get to later. In a moment, yeah. The whole thing just feels incomplete mm-hmm. or overstuffed. It, it's one of those two things. I feel like I'm not getting enough information to figure out this character mm-hmm. or I'm just getting too much information that there's just this character contains too many contradictory points. Because the Bethany that I feel like we meet here or the Bethany that we see opposite Lila doesn't feel like the Bethany that we get later in Angel's bedroom. No, there is some weirdness that goes on with Bethany throughout this Mm. episode. And I think that part of it is that this is a protagonist shoved in a supporting role position. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a little weird. Um, So Angel explains that he's different from most people, just like her. He guesses that the men in the alley tried to hurt her, and she stopped them. She thinks he's hitting on her, and he says he's not, but she doesn't find that terribly comforting. (laughs) Before she leaves, he asks her to take a business card and get in touch if she needs help. He won't hurt her, and she can't hurt him. Which is... A nice beat. It is really nice. I like that he says that to her, knowing that what's bothering her is that she knows she's dangerous and she doesn't want to hurt people. Yes. I'm a little puzzled by the, well, hey, you just go out into the world, you incredibly dangerous person. Right. Because if you decide that that you need help. (laughs) She killed those guys, but those guys deserved it because they were trying to rape her. You know, so I guess, you know, if you're only smushing bad people, then go ahead. You know? Right. But if she's only smushing bad people, then Angel should be safe to approach her. This this is it. We're right. setting up this weird kind of double standard mm-hmm. of danger yeah. from Bethany. Mm-hmm. And I don't know quite how I quite how I feel about that. I don't either until we address that later, um, okay. which I really kind of like. Uh, the girl arrives at an apartment door, which opens before she can put her key in the lock. Oh, hey, guys, look, it's Lila inside Lila's airplane <laughs> hangar. I'm sorry. I mean, apartment. She calls the <laughs> no, girl no, no. Bethany. You were right the first time. <laughs> Seriously. This what is, the is this biggest- set? I know. It is the biggest space I have ever seen, like, a human person live in. And I understand that Lila, you know, is a lawyer, first of all, but also a lawyer working for evil. So that means she's got extra, extra money. Um, (laughs) And so I – but, like, I don't don't think that Lila, given the opportunity to live anywhere in whatever kind of apartment she wants, would choose to live inside of a space – that big it's such a weird tension because we introduce the space and it's all you know burst concrete it looks like it could be a redress of one of the 
let's say, quasi-industrial sets yeah. that we've had in the past, the kind of place where Gun's Gang would mm-hmm. hide out, for example. Right. It feels like it might be a redress of one of those sets. It's all very kind of late 90s power suit, kind of, yeah. you know, corporate evil. But then we've got this homey, oh, I fold clothes because it helps me unwind. I might just crash out in front of the TV. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if that's a part that Lila is playing for Bethany's benefit. Mm-hmm. But it seems authentic. We at least are cued to read it as authentic, aren't we? I think so, because we don't know Lila at home at right. all. We don't know what Lila's regular life is. Although it feels like it's possible this isn't her apartment, that this is a rented airplane hangar wow, for just, just the purposes just of... layers within layers within just layers. Just layers within layers. I think layers. that if they were renting a place to make Bethany feel at home, they would have rented somewhere a little more... A homey? A little more domestic, a yes. little more familiar, Yes, perhaps. a little less industrial. Yeah, it's a yeah. weird contrast between mm-hmm. this, yeah, this modernist... Apartment, this cavernous, cavernous apartment. <laughs> and cavernous. Lila just very quietly, no, I like to fold clothes. Yeah. I just really like that. Later, I'm going to put on an apron and bake some cookies. That's <laughs> not the space that you're in. And then I'm going to build a Boeing in. 747. <laughs> right, exactly. Or at least wave to the guys over there who are doing it. Look, you can see them over there. Hey, Jeff, how's it going? It's a weird contrast. And again, it doesn't feel purposeful it doesn't feel fully developed and it doesn't feel like lila right it doesn't feel like the kind of place that lila would choose to live so i'm gonna say that this is just something that they they're in that space because they know that bethany has the the potential to throw things around and lila doesn't want her nice things ruined (laughs) so that is my guess so bethany is grateful to have a place to say lila tells her she's special that she has power bethany goes to bed lila stays up and wishes her sweet dreams which is going to be a weird two beat. We have two sweet dreams from Lila in this and they don't mm-hmm. really connect, but they stand out enough to get my attention. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. It feels unfinished. Yeah. One is very purposeful and mm-hmm. wry. The other apparently sincere or quasi sincere sort of thrown in. I think that maybe it wasn't meant to they weren't meant to like reference each other. I'm yeah. not sure, but it feels like I'm waiting for the third one and then we of course we just want out of episode one. before yeah. we get there. Yeah. At the Hyperion, Cordy and Wesley are tending to a punctured and cranky Angel. Angel asks if Cordy knows how hard it is to think straight with a rebar through your torso. And Cordy's all, vamp, please, I grew up in Sunnydale. It's so great. The benefits <laughs> yes. of a Sunnydale education. The benefits of a Sunnydale education, absolutely. A new high for Cordelia. Well, yeah, and as soon as I saw the rebar in Angel, I thought, oh, well, we got to reference that. Because it's, we have seen rebar in a torso before. Right, yes. and it's mm-hmm. the kind of detail in a story that you would absolutely expect a script editor to pull out. Oh, yeah. Because Mm -hmm. it's heavy on the continuity. We don't specifically call back to the events of Lover's Walk, Mm -hmm. but there it is. Yeah. I I loved it. Absolutely loved it. It's really nice. Uh, So they try to figure out who this girl is. Angel is certain she's not a demon. He suspects telekinesis. Wesley gives the dictionary definition of telekinesis, and he's tapped out. That's all he's got. Okay. Let's interrupt it right there. Okay. Because do you buy that? No. Nor do I. No, I believe that. I mean, I know more about telekinesis. I know about, you know, poltergeists and how these happen in children and children who are disturbed. And when they're when they come about of uh, through puberty, a lot of times this is when this kind of phenomenon will happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I, I don't buy that at all because wesley knows tons of stuff and telekinesis is like at the top of the, the right. one of the first things you learn even right? pop culture knowledge pop culture yeah. folklore yeah gets you Just closer been alive in yes. the world you know yeah and angel too hasn't experienced any kind of telekinesis 
yeah. in his two centuries of life. He's never heard stories. He's never been around people. He's been around gypsies long enough. Yeah, I guess. I mean, he's got to understand that there's some kind of psychic phenomenon. There are things that happen that people have powers with. Um, but, you know, Wesley basically makes the excuse that he's really much better with demons right. than he is with casual pop culture knowledge. Which is the problem mm-hmm. here. In that line, Wesley is saying, this is not the kind of thing we usually deal with. Yeah. This is something else entirely. And it is. Right. The problem with this episode of Angel is that it should be an episode of Supernatural. Mm-hmm. And it would be, by the way, an extremely good episode a of good Supernatural. good episode, right. Mm-hmm. Angel deals in the metaphor of the demon. Buffy, in general, yes. deals with the metaphor of the demon, the metaphor of the vampire. There is no metaphor in this episode. Mm-hmm. There is just strict cause and effect. Yeah. And that's really tangled that's where i think we fall off with this episode that's where i think it's not an episode of angel because we do we wrap the real life experiences in a metaphor and when we fail to do that in some of these episodes we've seen it happen in buffy before and we see it happening here in angel um it feels like we're a little too close to the natural more mundane reality of what we're talking about than when we see it through this supernatural paranormal lens that we usually use so we can view these things from a slight distance but also you know kind of exaggerate them to the point that we can really use them and, and look at them in a new way right because i think of the first season Buffy episode out of mind out of sight where the girl is ignored in Mm -hmm. school and thus becomes invisible that seems like a very close connection to Bethany's experience Mm -hmm. you know traumatic experiences in your teen years can sometimes trigger supernatural powers in the Buffyverse sure Mm -hmm. that has been established since halfway through the first season of Buffy but in that case there was still a metaphor. That is the she metaphor. She was rendered she invisible, invisible. Exactly. Because she felt right. invisible. Mm-hmm. Here, Bethany has been abused, has been, you know, raped incestuously mm-hmm. by her father, has undergone this this terrible torment, and has manifested telekinesis. Mm-hmm. There's no metaphor there except that she's dangerous. Yeah. Or no metaphor that I can see, at least. Is there anything there no. that, that reveals itself to you? No, it feels like it rides a lot closer. I mean, obviously, while telekinesis is, you know, a phenomenon and it's not necessarily normal, it's not terribly paranormal. And it's not that she had an experience and then ex- and then had the metaphor yeah. for that experience. Telekinesis was just this happened to her and then she became telekinetic as a response to that. But telekinesis, the movement of things and being able to move things with your mind, isn't a metaphor for being raped and abused and, and all of that no, stuff. No, which leaves so, the metaphor unrooted. There is no metaphor. We have to supplement it with, you know, a certain instability. Mm-hmm. In Bethany, which just makes it all the harder to connect with her and really understand who she is. Exactly. So now, back in the Hyperion, Gunn walks in (laughs) with an axe, anxious to kill some monsters. Gunn's hubcap axe. Oh, and I love how happy he is. He's so like, yeah, I'm here. Let's do some killing. Wouldn't you be happy? It's awesome. If I had an axe like that, absolutely. We commented earlier, Mm -hmm. really bad Wesley in this episode, outstanding Cordelia in this episode. Gunn tips the scales for me. Outstanding Gunn. I love Gunn. He's just great. No, I I love him when he's ready to just go scrapping. He's fantastic. Yeah, he's got that levity and that energy. Yeah. But isn't isn't goofy with mm-hmm. it. He isn't just comic relief. Yeah. He works for me very very well no, in this episode. He's just genuinely yeah. a lot of fun. Arguably a new high bar for Gun too. 
I think so, too. I yeah. think gun only gets better as we go. Angel needs gun to do some legwork. Find the smushed would-be rapists. On his <laughs> way out, gun makes a comment about workman's comp, and Cordy urges Angel to pay him. And in this moment, I have to say... I kind of ship Cordy and Gun. I love that moment where he's like, "You still protecting me?" And she's like, "Are you alive?" Then yes, <laughs> you I know. It. It's a really nice bouncy relationship between Cordy and Gun. I'm enjoying a lot. Yeah, I didn't ship it. It didn't feel like that kind of chemistry, mm-hmm. but it did feel familial. I ship everything. <laughs> That's I, my true. first, my first response is ship. Well, you know, luckily yes. you could actually build a ship. All you need to do is borrow Lila's apartment. No, I totally. Which could totally also could. function as a dry dock. <laughs> when Jeff's done with the airplane over there, exactly. he can get to work on that new cruise liner that she keeps in her bathroom. <laughs> so the other thing that trips me up about this scene, mm-hmm. specifically the end of this scene, is when Cordelia comments on Angel's sleeping habits. Yes, when he says he's going back to bed, and she mm-hmm. says, "Sure, you've been up for three hours." Right. The more light we shine on Angel's weird behavior, mm-hmm. the more impossible it becomes to believe that no one is taking it seriously. We had that very slight reference, that very slight note of concern from Wesley at the beginning of the episode. Now here's Angel again going off to bed. And I get that Darla's spell is fogging his mind mm-hmm. or something that we have no idea exactly what it's doing, I guess. Angel's been around the block. He's seen the effects of magic. He should be able to identify that something isn't right. Yeah, and he's lacking he an essential self-awareness. Right. Yeah. If he can't, Wesley sure as hell should be on top of it. Yeah. It's frustrating to me that we have to just excuse it. It's one thing for Wesley and Cordelia to be unaware of the problem that Angel's having sleeping either too little or too much, I and guess. acting out of character, being sure. excessively cranky, all of those things. If he's keeping them at a distance then that works. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work so well if they're aware of what's going on and just aren't paying it any heed. Yeah, and Wesley, I think, would keep a sharp eye on, you know, our cranky vampire. If We've established that as canon, in fact. If Angel yeah. starts acting out of character, Wesley's going to be there. That's yeah. a vital point in their relationship. Mm-hmm. It's completely absent from this discussion. Yeah, well, especially because, you know, Angelus could be there at any time. When Angel exactly. starts acting weird, you got to keep an eye out for that sort of thing. In so case of emergency. Exactly. Case <laughs> Break emergency. glass, remove steak, plunge it into your employer's chest. <laughs> Pretty much the same rules of working at the DMV. No, pretty much. Absolutely. <laughs> so at Lila's airplane hangar, Bethany lies in bed, staring into space. When she falls asleep, she dreams of being in an attic vulnerable to a man who sneaks up behind her, calling her Rabbit. Really uncomfortable is, and ugh. gross and hard to watch and horrible and It just... is incredibly uncomfortable, but not necessarily in and of itself bad if you're going to talk about this kind of child abuse this isn't necessarily a bad way to do it but again it doesn't feel tonally compatible with the rest of angel you're right i think as a means of approaching this subject this is appropriately gross and difficult it doesn't quite feel right in its place in the episode though Mm -hmm. and i guess that's only compounded later i guess this first instance isn't really too bad. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing, though. Like, we we opened up with Darla and her weird purple sleeping powder, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so now we have this moment where in Bethany's room, Lila is watching her. The bed is shaking. A lamp flies out, knocks Lila in the head. Bethany runs out. She's really, really sorry. And she runs out. Um, so... Are we supposed to take from that? Has Lila been applying this sleeping powder to Bethany to try to manipulate her dreams to bring out those 
powers. I wondered that's exactly my the same thing. But it's there's no clarity on that. There's certainly no clarity on it. And I would have expected some clarity. Mm-hmm. I would have expected a specific reference or a specific mention. Yeah. The problem is, I don't think we can do that story. I don't think we can do a story where Angel gets close to a girl who, by pure random chance, happens to be under the influence of the same mysterious magical powder as he is. Especially without his getting close to her, opening up that revelation for right. both of them. To be I like, you too? You it's know? Yeah. so weird. I know. No, I think it works better on a metaphorical level. Yeah. In as much as, specifically in this episode, Angel is being haunted by his past. Mm-hmm. And so is Bethany, that there's a shared a shared debt owed to the trauma that defined them mm-hmm. in a weird kind of way. Yeah. And we see it spill out into the real world in Bethany's life, not in Angel's, at least not yet. Not yet. No, well, we follow this up, right, with Angel's dream. He and Darla are having wild vamp sex in front of a fire. In <laughs> Angel's room, Darla tells him the story as he dreams it. And then later, Angel wakes up in his bed alone in angel's room darla tells him this story yes so we see darla in his bed telling him this story while he's sleeping manipulating his sleep in a way that possibly lila just manipulated bethany's sleep it's possible yeah really though i'm distracted by how much i dislike darla being physically there in angel's bedroom yeah it's weird i mean i get that it's the hyperion hotel Mm -hmm. i get that wesley and cordelia have their own apartments I get and that they tons don't live of hiding at the hotel. space. Tons, yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. And it's importantly a public space mm-hmm. that Darla wouldn't require any kind of invitation to sure. go into. Mm-hmm. I just don't buy the idea of barefoot, party dressed Darla mm-hmm. creeping through the halls of the Iberian <laughs> Hotel. I mean, getting a cab downtown first. And then, of course, getting a cab back to Wolferman Hearts so that she can hide out in the dark corner in Lindsay's office right. just in case anybody <laughs> breaks in. It's. Weird. Mm-hmm. We are forced to address the actual physicality of it. And again, not yet, but we will later in the episode when Bethany visits Angel mm-hmm. and we see Darla just in hanging out in a, in a dark corner sure, again. Sure. Yeah. It's so strange to think that she is just really mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Because her presence in the room is going to necessitate some kind of, you know, the covers are going to be in a different place. She's Mm -hmm. going to leave a door open or closed when it was otherwise. Or there will be a smell left behind. I mean, let's not forget, Angel's a vampire. He he has super smell. Yeah. Yeah. So he would would recognize her physical scent in the room. And he's under the influence of this powder. So we don't know how his awareness has been dulled, perhaps. But that's another thing. Like, we have been excusing all of Angel's, like, weird out-of-character nonsense because of this magical spell or whatever mm-hmm. that Darla has him under. And I think that, that that's fine. But eventually you're going to have to tell us exactly what that does. Yeah. You know, what is the extent of her influence and what isn't. And the more we're yeah. leaning into that, the more conspicuous it becomes. Mm-hmm. And the more overdue the explanation is. Absolutely. So the next day, Angel comes down to the lobby and asks for information from Cordy. They haven't found much. Wesley has researched telekinesis. He's gone from the dictionary to Wikipedia. And it's a (laughs) psychic phenomenon that occurs during periods of extreme emotional distress. Right. Apparently only read the Wikipedia page as far as the abstract. Oh, sure. Well, Didn't go into any depth. When you research, it's more of a skimming thing. And you always skip the warning up top that says, this may not be reliable information. It needs more editing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And just go ahead and use it and report it to your boss anyway, because why would you actually research something? 
something. <laughs> Again, this would have made a great episode of Supernatural. It would have, but it's not good Wesley, and it drives me crazy. No. Wesley is more thorough than that. Well, Wesley's about to get worse, so stick around, <laughs> baby. <laughs> so Angel's worried about finding the girl, but Cordy isn't. Bethany has just walked through the front door. So there are introductions all around. Bethany almost falls until Angel catches her, and Cordy tells her not to worry. And there's this moment here where she looks at them and she says, so it's a family business, huh? And Angel responds with friends. And that yeah. is a complete reversal of everything that we achieved at the end of season one, where they said, are you family? And he's like, yes, I'm family. Exactly. You know, so that felt weird to me. Did that I, stand yeah. out to you too? I don't like it. I don't understand the distinction. Angel is not himself, mm-hmm. but he doesn't seem to be drawing away from Wesley and Cordelia. But, you know, but he is in this weird way. I mean, he threatened to fire Cordelia earlier in right, this episode, but then buckled which is completely not like him. Yeah, but it's He buckled it's immediately, weird. which makes me think that it was crankiness. It was grumpiness yeah. rather than an actual, An actual you know, desire to enmity. fire I think, Yeah, no, I think it's, it's something much less specific, something mm-hmm. much less, you know, well-founded yeah. than that. It's just a weird beat. And it's the kind of beat, perhaps, that you might expect from an inexperienced writer. Someone who perhaps doesn't know that the distinction between friends and family is very important in Angel might just include that line as an actual clarification. It feels to me, and I'm willing to give, you know, Mayor Smith the benefit of the doubt on this, it feels to me kind of like the weird Sweet Mm -hmm. Dreams 2 beat. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's not a bad line in and of itself. It's just... It's, it's, just, it's not quite what it should be it's first given draft. our contextual awareness. It's first right. draft. Once you see those two sweet dreams in there, you know, most writers are going to be like, ooh, three beat, got to do it. You know, well, Or take one of them out. Or take yeah. one of them out. Absolutely. At Wolfram and Hart, Holland Manners mocks Lila's new shiner and expresses doubts in Lila's abilities to turn our little Bethany into an assassin. Then he gives her a pep talk, which might be sincere. You can never really tell with Holland. Uh, just then, Lila gets a call from <laughs> Bethany and discovers exactly where Bethany is. I dislike that entire scene. I got to tell you, the Holland and Lila. I mean, I like Holland Manners. I I've like liked him that before. Actor. Certainly, I think he's adorable. He can be really, really fun. But he is not at all threatening. He he has these moments of like, well, I don't know if you can do it. Oh, sure, you can do it. He jumps right mm-hmm. from doubt into a pep talk, and it feels really weird to me. We leave that scene. I think feeling less impressed with both Holland and with Lila. And it's shot in such a weird way. This is what I was talking about earlier, right? We have Lila standing up. So the shot on Holland is looking down on him. Rendering him powerless. Exactly, exactly. So it all feels really weird. It's written really weird. And then when Bethany calls Lila, she turns back to Holland with this this smug little smirk. Mm You're not afraid of this guy, and in order for this whole storyline to work, you have to be you afraid have to of this be guy. Afraid of this guy, exactly. He's not a peer. He was just promoted upstairs. He is the most serious business. Yes, and this is actually what makes me absolutely certain that they couldn't get uh, Christian Kane for the episode. Yeah, because really, she should be reporting to Lindsay, who now has Holland Manor's old job. Yeah, and the nice tension between Lila and Lindsay yes. is beautiful. We don't have that tension here with Holland Manners, not to mention the fact that he'll say something in one minute and then completely undercut it in the next minute. Right, which worked well enough back when he was talking with Lindsay, mm-hmm. because what he was addressing, it wasn't a rhetorical flourish. Yeah. He was actually addressing Lindsay's inner conflict. Mm-hmm. He was saying, I know you're feeling this, I know you're feeling this, but here is the truth. Yeah. And he's not doing that with Lila. He's just puppeteering her a little bit. You leave the scene just just as I said, feeling less impressed with both of them. And I'm not sure we need it 
And that I don't think we need Lila, you know, with Holland Manners, with Holland no, Manners, like expressing all of this we're stuff. World it just building feels weird that uh, Bethany is another potential Wolfman Hart assassin, yeah. mm-hmm. which fits the pattern. She's the third mm-hmm. that we've seen now. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. It certainly explains why Lila is giving room and board to Bethany. Yeah. But it does know more than that. And honestly, were we not already thinking that by the time we saw Lila looking over Bethany as she was sleeping? We pretty much, I think, had already assumed that Lila was not out of the goodness of her heart it's, taking in strays. It's yeah. the other weird thing. The Holland scenes in this episode feel like they take forever. They do. And they're not that long. But it's just, they're so dead. It's yeah. dead on the page. Well, that's it's the other thing that I was saying earlier. When yeah. the script calls for a very simple scene where two people talk in a static form to each other, it's difficult to make that visually interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think genuinely Whedon struggles with it a little bit in both scenes between. Oh goodness. Just put him in a hallway and do a walk and talk at least. That is why walk and talks exist. That is literally the reason for it. Exactly. This kind of scene bearable on screen. It really is. Uh, So in the oddly well shaded entrance area at the Hyperion, Bethany comes out wearing Cordy's clothes, but lacking Cordy's self-confidence. Does it remind you of the courtyard at the garden mansion? No, it really does. It really (laughs) does. But I'm thinking, you know, this is a hotel in Southern California. It is really, well shaded and okay granted i guess they've had overgrowth over the last you know 50 and years angel, been sitting untended angel knows a guy who can get you an awning for knows cheap. a guy who can get you a really good awning sure <laughs> <laughs> awnings are us uh she worries that she might be crazy but she doesn't really want to open up about it angel wants to help her control her power but she wants to get rid of it yes which he should want to do right now, and she should want to do right now, and I don't honestly buy any of it. And let me ask you this. (laughs) The actress who plays Bethany. Yes. The wonderfully named Daisy McCracken. Daisy McCracken. Oh my God, I love that name so much, I can't even deal with it. (laughs) My question is this. Is she great, or is she not very good? I think she's great. I think she's great. I think the character of Bethany. I'm asking genuinely. I know. No, because because you could read it either way. You there really is could. some ambiguity there. I think I like the way that she plays Bethany. I don't think she fits in Angel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's where that that weirdness comes from because she's good, but she doesn't belong here. This isn't the where this kind of story this is, is told. This isn't where this kind of character lives. You take a character like this and you put her in an episode of Supernatural, it would work. Yeah. You keep this character in Angel and you cast it with someone like someone like Alona Tall, mm-hmm. for example, who brings a genuine like light, right. like an innocence. Bethany, for me, is too scarred and too inconsistently self-aware. Mm-hmm. And I find that really difficult. That's why I keep expecting her to make that Christina Hendricks turn. Sure, She's sweetness and light mm-hmm. in the first act, and then... She reveals her true colors. And the first act was an act. Yes. You know, this was her pretending to be someone other than she is. this is how she gets close to Angel. That this is how she, yeah. But she's not pretending. Yeah. It's clear in the episode mm-hmm. that, that this is weirdly genuine. It just feels as though there's a subtext or a reveal that we're constantly waiting for. You're waiting for a shoe to drop that just isn't there. Exactly right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or at least I am. Does that match with your experience no absolutely because i think that there's just there's something about her that feels so inconsistent and i can't tell if it's in 
like the character herself that the character is inconsistent or that just that this kind of character is inconsistent and it's sort of like rubbing uncomfortably up against mm. the world of Angel as we know it. But here is my question for you. Okay. Is it wrong for me to write a book with a heroine named Daisy McCracken? <laughs> no, what I really want to do is write as Daisy McCracken. Have that be my pseudonym. I will send her royalties. In the lobby, Cordy shares with Wesley that she's getting a weird, almost sexual vibe off of Bethany. And mm -hmm. Wesley's head raises as though that is the key to everything. And I guess it does turn out that way, but it's still weird. Doesn't know a lot about telekinesis. Does no. R. Wesley. A lot about Freudian psychology. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Outside, Bethany explains how it all happens to Angel. She says it's a disease. He wants to know about her, but Bethany doesn't want to share. Wesley comes out and says that if she doesn't want their help, she should just go. He taunts her, suggesting sending her home to her father. She freaks out, shoots Wesley against the wall, and Angel into the sunlight. And Wesley's just lucky he didn't get smushed. And never has Wesley taking a beating been so well-deserved. I gotta because tell what you, the hell? No. Why in the world? And Wesley would never do that. That is like taking a flame. If he really understood exactly what was going on with Bethany, the thing to do is to calmly sit her down and give her maybe some chamomile tea and say, hey, you know, mm -hmm. I think that maybe this is what's going on. Or Try even to better, connect with her on a personal Cordy level. talk to right. her. This provocation is completely indefensible it I think. is and it's indefensible one of the not worst just things that wesley's ever done it's not just indefensible from inside the world of angel you know it's not just that we want to defend wesley because we generally like wesley and this is not his finest hour it's also indefensible from a narrative perspective in the structure of the episode forcing this reveal here in such an artificial fashion it changes the course of the episode it gives us a functional midpoint i suppose mm -hmm. But it feels completely inauthentic. And what does it accomplish? Well, we learn what we need to learn in order to motivate the last act of the story. But that really is it. Angel learns, I guess, that there is, you know, a, a psychosexual trauma mm -hmm. in Bethany's background. Yeah. And just asking her that would have also accomplished that. Or Wesley going to Angel and saying, this is my suspicion. I don't know how we handle this. But yeah, the way that they Which handle is this the way, is absolutely terrible. That's the way that any other episode of Angel would have handled it. Wesley would have told Angel the truth and Angel would have connected on a human level mm -hmm. with Bethany. Yeah. Or, or found some way of accessing that, you know, emotionally, empathically. Instead, we get provocation which is, again, not to beat this drum, that is a supernatural solution to an angel problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's absolutely right. So later, Cordy tells Wesley how stupid he was. And I really appreciate that because <laughs> it was, you, you know, super dumb. <laughs> angel comes in and tells Wesley to leave, which everyone agrees is a good idea, including me, because I can't see Wesley's character abused anymore in this episode. Um, angel suggests that Cordy should also stay at her apartment that night to stay safe from Bethany. And he mm -hmm. goes to find Bethany an abandoned room. They discuss how terrible and great people are. Bethany wishes she could see people the way that Angel does. Yeah, a little forced maybe too. It I don't does. think that Angel generally believes that people are great and awesome. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, I, I like this. I see people try. I see, you know, there is, he does have this sense of he's doing a good thing by rescuing people, that people are worth saving. But yeah. he doesn't have this overly innocent, exactly. you know, like all 
Daisy's look at everything. You know? This, as an encapsulation of Angel's worldview, is a little perfunctory, I think. I but think it is. I, I see what we're doing. I see the connection that we're trying to mm-hmm. draw here. Yeah. So we smash cut to Dream Angel and Darla having vamp sex by the fire while Angel sleeps in his room. He wakes up to find, and this is so weird, he wakes up to find Bethany in the room with him. Mm-hmm. She says she heard a voice, thought maybe Angel was awake. Angel says it was a nightmare, but Bethany suspects it was a different kind of dream. <laughs> and so we have, of course, the joke about the covers. Uh, Angel wants to know if she needs to talk, uh, but instead she very creepily suggests that they have fun and Angel turns her down. I kind of like, I don't like it, but you wouldn't like me when I'm happy as a nice like reference oh, to I the Hulk. Yes. I thought that was pretty cute. Yes. This is a really well-written scene, like a really well-written scene. This is the metaphor of the maid Yeah, is both completely unsettling and disquieting, mm-hmm. but also completely safe for network TV. It is, it is a standards and practices dream because there's nothing in there that is singularly problematic. Right. We are speaking but the metaphor, metaphor is so right. horrible and unsettling. It's, it's brilliantly written. It is. It doesn't have a place in an Angel episode. Well, because this is a beautiful five minutes of character study, and I really mm-hmm. appreciate that, but there's nothing happening in this scene. I mean, she is availing herself to Angel sexually because right. he's rescuing her and because I guess she feels like she needs to pay him somehow. Well, is that why, though? That's one possible interpretation. I could not get my head around this. When I'm expressing frustration about this episode, yeah. this is one of the scenes that I go to. Beautifully written as a character study. I think you're absolutely yeah. right. Mm-hmm. What does this tell us about Bethany? I genuinely have no idea. Yeah. Is she trying to offer gratitude? Well, you don't generally offer gratitude in quite such a damaged and belligerent way. Well, I mean, maybe people who have been horribly damaged, maybe that's what they do. Maybe the people that she has been around have expected that from her, and that's what right. she grew up but with. But if that's what she's playing to, then it's not just about gratitude. It's also about safety. It's also right. about looking for some kind of reassurance. But in this and scene, if it seems like a test. It could also be a test. I think that's also a possible that's interpretation. That's what it seems like to me. She's so angry. And she should be, you know. Um, and I think it is really well written. I think the metaphor but, is beautiful, but it is uncomfortable. And it's not an, a scene in Angel. And she's at her angriest when he finally turns her down. Yeah. I think if it's a test, which is a possible interpretation for at least the first half of yeah. the scene, I don't know what to make of that conclusion then. Mm-hmm. And it's not that Bethany in this scene is incomprehensible. I think I could figure Bethany out here. It's matching this Bethany to the other Bethany's that we've seen in the episode so far. I think she gets angry because he is proving that there are good people in the world, that there are people who won't take advantage of you. And she may be somewhat more comfortable or at least a world she understands is one where everybody is going to take advantage and everybody is going to abuse you. That is absolutely another possible interpretation. So, I mean, I think psychologically it's very complex and it's really interesting, but it's, it's, we're all of a sudden stopping this story to have this character study. And it's another really slow sequence Mm -hmm. where Angel isn't completely himself because he's awoken from this dream of Darla. We get, the weird exit of Bethany, seeing that Darla is still lingering outside. Yeah. The whole thing just feels, I don't know, somewhat atonal and somewhat inconsistent. 
No, it really does. And I think that that's probably something that we can say about most of the stuff it in this episode. Is, as I have over the course of as the last 45 have. minutes. <laughs> At Wolfman Hart, Holland Manners lectures Lila in our second interminable scene about controlling Bethany and getting her away from Lindsay's project. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the Hyperion, Angel tries to train Bethany to control her powers using one of Cordy's scarves. Why? Because. Why is he trying to train her to use her powers? This is not the X-Men. This is right. This is the the training control. He's Mr. Miyagi. What is he doing here? No. And she wants to get rid of her powers, which may not be an option. So he's trying to teach her how to control them. And that's part of an arc for her. But again, that's like that's a different story. Completely different what is, story. What is our goal here? That's an excellent question. You know, I mean, are we because because the danger is Bethany. She is also the victim. And so do we think that we're going to make her less dangerous by showing her how to control these right. powers? I because mean, I'm guessing that's is, what they're getting at. Well, it could well be, but mm-hmm. we don't know anything about telekinesis. Apparently yeah. Angel has never heard of it, and Wesley has only read the abstract on Wikipedia, sure. so we don't know any more than that. We don't actually know that it can be controlled, mm-hmm. and we don't know that controlling it would be good for Bethany. Yeah, It's only been what, less than 24 hours since she showed up at the Hyperion in the first place? What we're really doing in terms of the plot is waiting for Gunn to come back with information about the hired would-be rapist. Yes. All we're doing is passing time. Mm-hmm. Why aren't we sitting her down quietly with a cup of tea and a good book? And a therapist, uh, I think. Possibly perhaps, a therapist, too. Perhaps a therapist yes. might be the way to go in this kind of situation. I think we can safely say we are all out of our comfort zone with Bethany. Bethany needs a professional. Again. It's a nice scene. Mm -hmm. I just don't understand what we're working toward. Yeah. No, I don't know. Uh, So Cordy comes in, gives Angel a message from Gunn, and Cordy suggests shopping with Bethany. (laughs) So at one of the hospitalized Smushy's apartments, uh, Angel breaks down the door and Gunn goes inside. It's a nice apartment for a thug, I gotta say. It's a great scene. Yeah. The whole interplay between Gunn inside and Angel outside, then the sudden And Angel leaning against the barrier, barrier, and then when the barrier collapses, that shows us that the guy has died which I think is pretty cool. Genuine yeah. and affectionate interplay between Angel and Gun. And he finally gets seem. Gun and it's really nice he offers, you know, to pay Gun and Gun's like, "Cool," you know, yeah. and there you go. And I, I think like that's it a really lot. nice. It's a it's a just a strong scene. And then Angel goes right inside, redials the last number dialed and finds that it goes directly to Wolfram and Hart. Oh boy. Danger. <laughs> While wandering around the plaza drinking lattes, Cordy warns Bethany against sleeping with Angel. Bethany is shocked. Just shocked it would never even occur to me to do such a thing uh but cordy's not really buying it because cordy is smart i like smart cordy she says bethany is dangerous she could have floated the guys away or spun them but she squashed them cordy tells bethany that she had a vision of bethany and felt what she felt she knows that bethany made a choice and she doesn't want anyone to get hurt especially not angel or her i love this whole thing because what it does is it takes bethany out of victim Yes. You know, and it deals with her in a much more complicated way. There is a really interesting tension in the episode. I think you're absolutely right. There is a strange pressure from Wesley and Angel to victimize. Yes. Bethany to, yes. to to render her a victim, render her powerless. To yeah. yes, to narrativize her experience mm-hmm. and to place her in the position of someone who is wounded and yeah. disempowered. Mm-hmm. 
Which I guess plays to the idea of training her how to use her powers. Right. You know, returning some measure of agency and mm-hmm. capability to her. And that's certainly the beat that we'll hit at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Bethany, you have the power. Well, okay, but Bethany not having the power hasn't really been a problem up until now. Yeah. I love Cordelia's take on Bethany as a yeah. character. I love her strength. I love her intelligence. I love her fairness. Mm-hmm. When she says, I like you. I really do. But you're dangerous. Yeah. No. I love that. I love that I from Cordy. Adore it. She is the only person in this entire episode to treat Bethany with any respect at all. Yeah. And I love the way that she talks to her. I think that Completely actually this is scene. one of the best written scenes in the whole thing. So Bethany asks Cordy about Angel when a guy steps between them and casually injects Bethany with a drug. A moment later, two other guys grab Bethany. Cordy manages to get Bethany away from them, but as they run, a couple more guys come out of a van <laughs> and grab her. So this is starting to feel like an improv anywhere event like all of a sudden it's all these guys <laughs> jumping out of the crowd to As do this drive thing away concert. cordelia waves a fist in the air damn flash mobs i know i know no it's crazy i mean how many guys are working and hey. they all have one job wolfram and hart they have resources one job we got backup plan Apparently. upon backup plan yeah. yeah so gun and angel just happen at that moment to come down the street <laughs> cordy sends them after the van angel tells gun to take the wheel this is one of the things that i really love too is that Angel's driving, so they come around the corner. They have it to be then. Then Angel tells Gun to take the wheel. Gun has to shift over. Why didn't sure. we just have Gun driving in the first place? I guess because it's Angel's car. It's Angel's and then, car, and Gun driving would have been inconsistent. I think you just answered your own question. It would have been, it, yeah, but it felt weird. So then Angel hops <laughs> on top of the car, jumps into the van. I actually, you hey, know, I know hey, that generally. What is, what is the name of the show? Is it gun? Because I don't think it's gun. <laughs> it's kind of for me, gun. <laughs> the gun's here. It's kind of gun. It's Cordelia um, and gun. It's Cordy and gun, and I'm you know? ignoring absolutely everything else. No, but I usually don't like enjoy that much. The 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 big action set pieces, all this kind of stuff, doesn't usually you know uh, tickle me that much. But I actually really liked this with Angel just Batmaning off of his moving car <laughs> onto the van. It felt like Indiana Jones. It was really cool and fun. It's fine. Yeah. Why is this the end? of Bethany's story. Because like, why is this, this what we're point, doing with None it? of it makes sense. I'm just enjoying the moment. I am just yeah. getting the most that I can out of every moment of this episode. But I, I'm being kind of playfully critical there, but there is a problem here, which is, again, we're going to lean on the idea of Bethany's empowerment, disempowerment, sure. and agency very clearly and very powerfully at the climax of the episode. Right. Here she is, again, by the script this time, by the story, by the narrative. She is disempowered and turned into a victim no absolutely again by men i mean again this is the all of the men and lila you know who's kind of a man in a lot no of matter their intention <laughs> they, they all do this to her yeah. the only one who sees her as a person who treats her with respect and who empowers her is cordy because cordy demands for her to take responsibility for her part in this um so yeah no i think it's it's just fascinating i mean obviously the guy the guy hits her with an injected injection in her neck so Mm -hmm. i guess that takes away her powers which is what she wants so yay there's that i don't know Well, it also makes it very difficult for her to walk so i'm not sure that's a lasting solution that's true no it's kind of (laughs) tough at wolfman heart lila tells someone over the phone to finally pull the trigger so now we're back at the hyperion bethany is upset that lila was using her um angel tries to get her to control her fear and anger but when bethany goes to open the door her father is suddenly there (laughs) And everything explodes, knocking Cordy out and Angel across the room, but leaving her father, you know, untouched. Sure. So I guess it just comes from behind her or whatever. I I guess so. Uh, (laughs) Can I say how much I 
thoroughly dislike the father appearing in the door. I hate this whole thing with and the father. And how much I loved the effect shot of the windows <laughs> blowing out of the top floor of the Hyperion. <laughs> That's nice. That is great. No, it is. It's, it's it's very complicated. I have complicated feelings about this scene. Yeah. I think that it was shot really well. I hate that her father suddenly shows up and does this like very robotic thing. In my head canon, he actually is a robot. Because right. her actual father knowing where she is or being called in on a moment's notice. I mean, he's obviously okay. been waiting. The question here is, what is Lila's game plan? What does Lila think will happen? We know for a fact that Lila has called in Bethany's father. Yes. What does she think is going to happen now? She's going to trigger Bethany into using her powers. And I guess by scaring Bethany and making her use her powers, she will start to understand how to control them and then be so grateful that Wolfram and Hart reunited her with her father that she'll surely be an assassin for them now. Has Lila met human beings before? It's possible, no. Because she is it Lila. seems to me significantly more likely that Bethany will trigger the earthquake that will make California slide off into the sea. No, that's also a possibility. But you know what? I'll tell you what. Go big or go home. Lila is in this to win it. Okay, it's impossible for me <laughs> to determine a justification. Strategy. As listeners to Dustin will know, yeah. I am more than willing to turn a few somersaults to try and figure out why people are doing <laughs> sure. what they're doing. I just can't put it together. Because well, the thing is, it's not a controllable situation. When you have a plan, when you put a plan together, especially when you're Lila freaking Morgan, who does not come out well from this episode either. Cordy's the right. only one who really comes out well. Oh, and gun. Um, but when you have a plan, you have to make sure that you control for all the variables. This, her father, is nothing but variable. A, why is he going to agree to do it? B, how much are you paying him to keep him in a hotel room well, until think, finally you can unleash him on his I daughter? Think B might answer A, but uh, yes. Entirely possible. <laughs> but like, and then when he comes in, he, you know, wants to take her home. But if he knew where she was, I guess it's the money. I don't, it all feels incredibly right. weird. And what are they planning? They want her to, I guess, kill him, realize that she it can kill people, and then that will make the assassin bitter pill a little easier right. to swallow. We might be trying to just break her completely. Yeah. That might be the strategy. That, that is a terrible it. game plan, particularly because she's not under the control of Wolfram and Hart right now. Right, yeah. That's a problem. We might speculate that maybe Lila believes that Bethany will actually go with mm -hmm. her father, which doesn't seem to be rooted in any understanding of Bethany that we've seen in the episode thus far. Yeah. Then we have this weird beat of Angel outright urging Bethany to use her power and finish it. And kill this guy. Yes. Yes. Bethany, you should super use your unpredictable you psychic power to kill your father. This who, power. Yes, yes. Is a monster, an right. absolute monster. But it's not about him. It's about her. Does uh, she want to become is, a killer? Isn't this exactly, exactly the kind of thing he just did with Faith? Exactly. It's not about them. It's about you. Exactly. Which is so against. So anyway, so the father approaches, the walls shake, nails start flying through the room, and we can only hope that Cordy has had, you know, a recent tetanus vaccination. I'm certain that she has. I, well, I think so. <laughs> so the walls crumble. Bethany finally gets control over everything. She throws her father out the window. He goes screaming to the ground. She stops him six feet before the asphalt gives him a nice little stop and then drops him from there. Mm -hmm. So he, he is unhurt and able to run off and molest other girls another day, I guess. I mean, we don't want to like, we don't want Bethany to kill him, but I really don't want this guy running no, around Los Angeles. We still want him to be justice. in jail. Yes. We still want him to be like the rest of the world to be safe. Because by the way, if we're looking for a monster in this episode, we found him. Here yes. he is, guys. You know? 
So I don't know. That whole ending does not feel right to me. We really need to take care of the father and make sure that he is not hurting anybody else. Um, right. And it's particularly dispiriting because you finally feel as though the episode has got its feet under it. We yeah. have that great gun angel scene. Mm-hmm. Then we have the great Cordelia Bethany scene. And from there, we, even the action sequence is good. Mm-hmm. From there, though, it just spirals out of control. We end up getting the climax from a different episode entirely. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's 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 weird. Yeah. It's all weird. So at Lila's, Bethany is packing. Lila tries to get her to stay and work with Wolfram Hart. She needs friends, after all. Uh, Bethany says her friends don't typically, you know, hire men to rape her. <laughs> so she's going to let that That's a go. weird beat to play for a joke, too. It is. It is a weird beat. It is... <laughs> I mean, okay, a little levity in the script would perhaps be welcome at this point. That is a weird line to go for. Yeah, I think that Bethany just giving Lila a cold look at that moment would have been so much more effective. Um, So Lila says she was just trying to make Bethany stronger. And as Bethany wills her suitcase into her hand from across the room, she commands Lila on a job well done. As Bethany leaves with Angel, Lila watches and Lila wishes Angel Sweet dreams. Now that, as an ender, I think is kind of neat, but yes. it references back to the sweet dreams from earlier. And yes, doesn't you, you quite excise the first one match. and preserve the latter yeah. one. And I like the relationship between Lila and Angel here. Oh yeah, I like the. Did I mention you're not invited in? Exactly. <laughs> you know he's a vampire. I like it. You know he's a vampire. But it robs Lila mm-hmm. of really any authority at yeah. all. Just having Angel confront her in this domestic context. Mm-hmm. Yeah strips her of her power and that's a weird choice no i don't think lila can come back from this well i think that if we forget this lila the same (laughs) way that i'm going to very quickly forget this wesley um you know there there is not to spoil anything but there's going to be some really interesting and and fun lila in the future so i'm i'm okay no that's that's true when i say that i don't think she can come back from this i know in fact that she does come back from this it's it's because we pretend it never happened we can do it with a break we can't do it with with an arc Mm -hmm. you know we have to just you're right (laughs) just forget this ever happened yes Mm -hmm. here is the problem with this episode it is in part just great. Yeah. There are genuinely great scenes. And when I asked earlier about uh, Daisy McCracken, mm-hmm. that is a sincere question. I don't know if she's fantastic or just not very good. I think she's fantastic. I, I think she's in the wrong fantastic. show. Yeah. I think this character is in the wrong show. I actually really, really liked Daisy McCracken's you know, take on Bethany. And sometimes you can have episodes which are a collection of you know parts of inconsistent quality. Mm-hmm. And they come out just average. They they don't really cohere, but that's okay. They're not internally destructive. Mm -hmm. This is internally destructive because the great scenes we get are at war with each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think that I ever want to watch this episode again, despite the fact that there are wonderful performances and great extended sequences. I would say that fully half of the episode Mm -hmm. is really, really strong. Yeah. But ultimately, it is just too frustrating, and it doesn't feel like a complete or a coherent piece of work for me. No, it really doesn't. I think, and this is the thing about this that I find frustrating. I think that it is well written from certain aspects. Mm -hmm. I think that the psychological understanding of Bethany and her story as a superhero origin story, I find it really interesting. She's about to go off with that suitcase and start her own. Interesting, but not good Up not the, complete yeah mm-hmm. what have we just done 
we have taken a woman who is completely dangerous, mm-hmm. who is completely unstable, yeah. because we get that line from Cordelia that says, you could have chosen yes. to incapacitate those guys who were trying to rape you, and you didn't, and I get it, but that is on you. Yeah. You made you that choice. You have to take responsibility for that choice. So that is a true thing that happened. Mm-hmm. So we have now equipped this unstable personality with a greater control of her telekinetic powers mm-hmm. and sent her out into the world where her father is just at large. He's yeah. just out there somewhere. We haven't resolved her story. What we have done is packed a barrel full of gunpowder, attached And dropped fuse, it off at the neighbor's house. Yeah. And handed <laughs> Bethany a lighter. Exactly. <laughs> this is not a satisfying yeah. conclusion. Well, because we don't have any story. sense of where she's going or if she's going somewhere where she's going to get help. Is somebody going to be able to take care of her and to teach her how to use her powers for the greater good? I feel like... what. Yeah. Nothing good is going to come. We don't of this. get a we don't get a, a solid resolution on any of that. We yeah. just get this, you know, haunting sweet dreams to to Angel at the end, showing that that story is going to be addressed. But what happens to Bethany is not. It's really so, problematic, and yeah. I should say too, because you know it is the elephant in the room. Perhaps the treatment of incest and rape in mm-hmm. the episode is thoughtful. Up to a point. Yes. It is respectful up to a point. It does raise some really interesting questions about the process of victimization, mm-hmm. about the the removal of agency from women who have suffered terrible things. Yes. And the the continuation of that powerless state, mm-hmm. even by those who are seeking to help the woman in question. Well, I love that the is war. so interesting. I love the war between this paternalistic approach that both Wesley and Angel take with her and this empowering, you know, you got to do this. You've got to fix this. You didn't break it, but you got to fix it kind mm-hmm. of thing coming from Cordy, which I think is really nice. And I actually would have liked to have seen yes. that. As, Cordelia's line, this is not your fault, yeah. but you do have responsibility, yeah. is one of the most progressive and admirable lines in the entire episode. It's an incredibly empowering thing. Which is completely undercut by the end of the episode. No, it absolutely is. So, I I mean, there are a lot of things in this episode that I think are well written and well done in but in the ending in the last 10 minutes of it it completely falls apart and also throughout the whole thing it's not an episode of angel angel deals in metaphor if we're going to talk about rape and we're going to talk about incest we're going to do it through the guise of a demon we're going to exaggerate something that represents that and then we're going to kill it kill it kill it kill it dead this is not what we do here we let the monster run free and right this is yeah. an episode of the x-files this is an yeah. episode of fringe this exactly. is as i've said before an episode of ambiguous, supernatural an ambiguous ending in some of those environments is something in that, fact that is, is this not of... an episode of the x-files this is now feeling very, very familiar much to me. like an episode of the x-files absolutely and having an ambiguous ending in which a monster kind of is roaming free to strike again someday isn't unusual right. for that but in angel we deal in metaphor and we also dispatch the monster well, no i don't think that's necessarily true i think that angel even more so than and Buffy is willing to deal with ambiguity, mm-hmm. is willing to leave things unresolved. What we don't get, though, generally, is a world in which Angel has just made things worse. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. There is a perspective on this episode that says that, you know, had Bethany just stayed with Lila, had Bethany maybe even been hired as an assassin mm-hmm. by Wolfram and Hart, she would perhaps have been happier and, God knows, less dangerous than she is now. Yeah. 
Because they would have at least pointed her at, you know... Well, I mean, but they might have pointed her at three little blind children, too. Who knows, you know? <laughs> that does happen Wolfram from time Hart to time when you work at Wolfram and be Hart. trusted. But I think that as far as... I think Bethany's in a better place than she would be, right. obviously. But, but Angel didn't... In a better place, but yeah. perhaps not a much better place. But I think the only one who did anything good and positive was Cordy. Which is terrible, because there's no opposition offered to Angel's yeah. actions in this mm-hmm. episode. When we have that final scene with Angel and Bethany and Lila... Angel has the smug I won face. Yes. And Lila's sure as hell behaving as though he just won. Mm-hmm. That's not how I and read Bethany the episode. Bethany is a pawn between the two of them yes. who is once again robbed of any empowerment, any individualization, anything that speaks to her and what she needs and what she's about. She is both victim and perpetrator. And we need to synthesize that. And we do it beautifully in this episode or in this like one scene with Cordelia. Mm-hmm. And then it all falls apart and it becomes this sort of like ridiculous thing. So I have to say... When I first watched it, I think I liked it a lot more than now that we've been talking about it. <laughs> My opinion of it has sunk a little bit. So if we go into the rankings, Let's where would you that. put it? The episode that immediately springs to mind as perhaps the most appropriate point of comparison and a good starting place for our discussion, I think, is Hero. Mm-hmm. When we think of Hero, we think of Doyle's heroic death. Yes. We think of the culmination of all of that talk about heroism in the first seven episodes of the series. What we don't think about so often when we think about Hero is an actual demonic holocaust happening in Los Angeles. And when I think about the metaphor breaking down to the point that it is made literal, where the subtext becomes text, if Mm -hmm. you like, Hero is what I think of. We are dealing with some very heavy and, and dangerous subjects in Hero, and we do it Honestly, with that sufficient thought, care, and attention. Mm-hmm. And we don't really leave the world in a sufficiently improved place, yeah. I'll say, mm-hmm. in Hero. And I think that maps pretty closely to Untouched. We yeah. invoke these important, big, complex, crunchy ideas. We we do something with them. We open up interesting conversations, but we don't really resolve those interesting conversations as fully as we might, I will say that I am willing to give this a pass a little bit because it is the first script of a new writer mm-hmm. and because what is good here is really good. I'm not kidding when I say this is a series high for Cordelia and a series high for Gunn. Yeah. This is my favorite version of both of these characters so far, and that's not nothing. No, and they're really nicely written. I think that Hero is better, more cohesive, and more... An episode of Angel, I think, especially given where it was, Angel really hadn't solidified itself into into its own vision. It was still very fluid at that right. point. But as we look back on Hero, we can say pretty comprehensively that it's not a terribly consistent episode of Angel. It's not terribly consistent, but I think it was, given the time in which it aired, you know, there was no consistent real read right. on Angel But at if that we're looking at both anyway. of these episodes after the fact, mm-hmm. they do kind of occupy that same... They're both atypical for Angel. I think you're right that, mm-hmm. that Angel hadn't yet codified its own approach. Right. Hadn't quite codified, in particular, its own tonality at that point. So everything was sort of atypical Angel everything at was that a, point. Everything was... Sure, everything yeah. in the first nine episodes is mm-hmm. a little atypical, with, yeah. with a couple of exceptions. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that they suffer from some of the same problems. Yeah, but I don't you know. would put this I would even, lower than Hero? I would even put it lower. I think for me, it, it gravitates more towards she. 
um, where it just wow, doesn't feel well. like it belongs in this world. There's good writing there, which might bump it up a couple of points. Um, but yeah, I kind of find it like like around. Well, with the then view there first is a compromise she... because there is another episode that doesn't entirely feel like it should be an episode of Angel, which Eternity? is Eternity. There we go. Yeah, no, I think maybe in that arena. And I think Eternity also talks about the empowerment and disempowerment of women. Mm -hmm. It talks about what you are willing to do and what you are forced to do. Mm -hmm. It also doesn't end in a terribly satisfactory place. I would be willing to give Untouched the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. in terms of it being you know, the first script from a new writer and giving us some really and great characterization. And it does have some good writing. And even the stuff that it does with Bethany, you while it's it's kind of disturbing and doesn't really fit in Angel, is, I think, some of it really well written and, and comes from, like, a very perceptive psychological space. Sure. You know? S- some of it. Unfortunately, some of, some of it. it really, really doesn't. Some of it. Yeah. Uh, I might be tempted to put it in, certainly, I would say above Eternity, maybe even above City of. I could put it between expecting and city of. I find it fascinating at number thirteen that you were so much hotter on this episode coming in. I, than was, I was, and then when we had this discussion, I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> I think I think what it is that I liked about it, I really liked the Cordy stuff, um, yeah. and I felt like, and we haven't had a lot of good Cordy, so having good Cordy really made me happy. And Bethany, I felt was an interesting, engaging character. Um, I liked her as a character. I like Daisy McCracken. I think that there's some good writing in here. I think there's some perceptive writing in here. I just don't think it's a good episode of Angel. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that is a very appropriate place for us to conclude our 100th episode of Our 100th episode, absolutely. Not a disappointment so much as in frustration. It seems like an appropriate place to to wrap up the 100th episode. I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. There we go. (laughs) All right, so that's it for today. We'll be back on Monday with our thoughts on episode five of season five of Buffy, No Place Like Home, in which Buffy discovers some new information about Dawn. Next week's a big week because on Thursday, Thursday, we'll be back with episode five of season two of Angel Dear Boy, where we get more information about Darla. We're going to be learning all sorts of new things next week. Two ongoing plots finally (laughs) reaching their first turning points (laughs) next week on Dusted. Guys, thank you so much sincerely for listening to 100 episodes of Dusted thus far. We have still more ahead than behind, thankfully. We still have more episodes to go than we've already covered, and I can't wait to get into them. This discussion is only getting more fun, more rich, more fascinating as we share it with more and more listeners. If you guys have thoughts on this episode, please head on over to the StoryWonk forum at forum.storywonk.com, where you can share your perspective on all things Buffy with the kindest and smartest and best informed Buffy fans anywhere on the internet uh, yeah no it's these just are the an astonishing community best discussions i have to say I, I know i'm biased but it is the best place on the internet it is the best place to have discussions it is the best place to talk over difficult material we have sure. people talking about things that are very very difficult to talk about and they do it with a great deal of sensitivity and thoughtfulness and i absolutely love the forums i think it's a fantastic place that's forum.storywonk.com And now I would like to say 100 episodes into Dusted, 
We could not have possibly done it without the support of our generous <laughs> patrons who support us through patreon.com slash storywonk. Um, thank you so much, everybody who contributes to this. You make it possible for us to make this accessible to everyone, and we really appreciate it. If you would like to be one of our generous patrons and get special extra um, things throughout the week, we just recently did um, a Story Wonk Mid-Month Movie Minute on Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, in which I finally cracked that central narrative conflict, and I feel very excited about <laughs> that. Did. That is available for our patrons over at patreon.com slash storywonk. One dollar, one dollar a month will absolutely do it, and it makes such a huge difference. Thank you so much for all of your support. Yes, it is. Thanks, of course, to our Patreon supporters that you guys get double-dusted. The reason that we can take the time to record a Monday and a Thursday show is because of the generous support of our patrons. We are enormously grateful. That, I think, will do it for this 100th episode of Dusted. Absolutely. Until next time, I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. I'm Alistair Stevens, and this is Dusted. Grrr.